you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Hi there, my name is Janine Garner. I am the host of the podcast Unleashing Brilliance and it is an absolute pleasure to spend this next 30 minutes with you chatting all things Unleashing Brilliance. What is the story behind success? What are the learnings that people can share? And what is it uh, that people are now thinking about when it, co- when it comes to uh, unleashing the brilliance in others and continuing to unleash the brilliance in themselves? Today's guest is Tony Nash. He is an entrepreneur, founder, and CEO in online retailing. He actually started his first internet business in 1996 and in 2004 founded Booktopia, an online bookstore here in Australia and New Zealand with an allocated budget of $10 a day. The company's first book sold in three days, and if you fast-track 16 years, Booktopia now sells one book every six seconds with an annual turnover of over $175 million a year. Booktopia was listed in AFRBRW's Fast 100 eight times, the only company to achieve that feat, and was voted Book Retailer of the Year for the third time in 2019 at the Australian Book Industries Awards. Uh, One of the defining aspects of Booktopia is its philanthropic program. Uh, So far, Booktopia has donated well over a million dollars in books and cash to literacy-based projects in Australia, including Indigenous literacy, writers' festivals, etc., In July 2018, Booktopia also won Best Pure Play Online Retailer at the Online Retail Industry Awards, and Tony Nash himself has been acknowledged with the Industry Recognition Awards. Um, This conversation was just phenomenal Um, in terms of talking through the evolution of an idea, i.e. where Booktopia actually came from, and the fact that it actually was more about an evolution uh, to becoming Booktopia rather than rather than a defined idea of setting that up. Um, he, um, uh, Tony talks a lot about the need to empower others to operate at their best and actually challenges all of us to consider what we are giving out every day to actually help others to succeed. And that doesn't have to be uh, in dollars or time. It could be in joy, in smiles and and in kindness. What I really loved about this conversation was um, Tony's explanation about how he sees challenges. And he says he advises us all to smile at the unexpected and actually say, bring it on. Uh, he shares that in his mind, this is the universe actually acknowledging what you've already achieved and sending you another challenge to either help you become more brilliant or and uh, challenge your intentionality around what it is that you are doing. So um, settle in uh, for this conversation, an awesome conversation with Tony Nash, the founder and CEO of Booktopia. Well, Tony Nash, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast. Thank you for gifting your time today. 
Absolute pleasure to be here. It's always good to turn the tables. I had the uh, we had such a good chat when you interviewed me for your podcast, Tony, and uh, it was through that conversation that my curiosity was piqued. I was like, oh, I need to turn the tables on you. <laughs> so thank you for coming along. No worries. Looking forward to it. Now let's um, let's just talk talk a little bit about you, Tony. Um, if we head way, 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 way back, can you can you actually remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Uh, can you remember, you know, that imagination of Tony as a little boy and what he wanted to be and why? Oh my God! You know, with ADHD, um, which is what I have, although I never knew it at the time. I think one of the um, one of the benefits is there's probably about. 280 different variations of what I wanted to be. Um, I remember the couple of things that comes to mind, two of them are, are quite funny. One is, is that when I was little with my brother and my cousin, Darren, um, we wanted to have a stamp shop. Um, I remember that um, hanging around for quite a few years when we were, I don't know, maybe must have been about 10, 11, 12, something like that. But I remember when I was about 15, I said to my mum, I want to be famous. And she looked at me and she said to me, oh, I couldn't think of anything worse. And that struck me at the time like, really? Why wouldn't you want to like be successful and famous? So um, obviously I wanted to do something. It was obviously ringing around there. But I, I, I must admit there was not one burning uh, vocation that I had that I that I was thinking of, of being when I was a, a teenager and probably even into my early 20s, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And since then, you have, you know, launched Booktopia. Um, I think it was launched in 1996 with an allocated budget of, of $10 a day. I was reading in your company information and it's it's gone on to win multiple awards a significant level of turnover and you're continuing to challenge the market where where did that idea for booktopia come from actually so 1996 so today's what the 6th of july 7th of july something like that 7th of july um 2020 and and so it was on the 2nd of july which is my birthday 1996 is when i started my first company but i was I was actually in recruitment for the IT industry back in those days. So I started my first company 24 years ago um, on a small budget as well in the front room of my house as a recruiter. The book idea didn't come into fruition for another eight years later until 2004, February the 4th, 2004, the same day that Facebook started. And, and so that came through a series of events because I was in recruitment and the business was growing. I started on the internet back in the days when I had to explain what the internet was uh, to people who had never heard of it before. Uh, I convinced my brother and my brother and brother-in-law and my sister to join me, and that, a couple of years later, so together we built that company up and sold the recruitment company because my brother-in-law and I had both come from um, a software background. He was much better than me. He was an IBM software engineer, and I was a very bad. Um, COBOL programmer who had done a 
six-month programming certificate. And and so he and I were building software for our recruitment company. We ended up with a chat software product. There was a dot-com crash in the early 2000s. That business was going to go under, and we quickly morphed into this uh, internet marketing consultancy, and that's when we had done a job to get Angus and Robertson to the top of Google. My brother did that project and introduced us to the book industry. Angus and Robertson outsourced their website to a company in Sydney who managed it for them and did all the fulfillment, and they got a commission check every month on what they had sold. And it was that company that we used to launch Booktopia on a $10 a day budget in 2004. So there was no planning. There was no light bulb moment and go, oh, I can see a gap in the market. It was just simply an evening project that I worked on while we did our internet marketing consultancy, our SEO and you know, Google AdWord management, which is what we were doing back in those days. And and so therefore, um, um, it it just kind of one thing it was one thing that led to another. So it's always uh, evolution, like you said. One thing led to the other, but in that there is almost an element of brilliance and genius because the evolution requires a certain skill too, doesn't it, Tony? In terms of that preparedness to evolve versus versus sit still. Do you? Do you remember that feeling of it sort of evolving and becoming something different and that moment where you went, ah, my gosh, actually we're on to something here? Probably took a few years. Um, it was surprising in the beginning uh, when when we started it because I, I had a budget of $10 per day that my brother had given me and it took me three days to sell my first book and it was $2,000 in the in the first month. But by the fourth month, I was up to $30,000 a month. And by the end of the year, $100,000 a month. So I was using uh, the proceeds from, <coughs> from, excuse me, from the ads to reinvest into our Google AdWord program. So kind of we didn't need the money because the money um, we were making out of our consultant consulting work for all of the internet marketing was kind of funding the business. So... It kept getting bigger and bigger, and I went to this um, annual booksellers conference in 2006, so it was about two and a quarter years in, and I sat there in the conference listening to what they were talking about, and I realized they really had no idea about where things were going and the opportunities of online. I was quite surprised and was quite obvious. So I came back to my family and I said to them, look, I really think we should be doing this properly, and so we... um, we built our own website. We took a warehouse. We left that same company that Angus and Robertson were using to manage our site and fulfill our orders. We brought everything in-house, and and it was probably around then. So it was just between the two and a half years in when we were turning over $2 million that we thought we can, you know, we've got something here. And we had already seen that. It just kept growing and growing, and um, ultimately after a couple of years we were we were ending up with more money left over than what we could spend on Google. So it was contributing. But, um, I mean, if you said to me, oh, by the way, like in, you know, 13 years from now, you're going to have a $200 million online store and 14,000 square meters and over $20 million in automation and it's all like this. I mean, you know, our family would have just gone, you're kidding. Like that's, you know, you're, you're dreaming. It's ludicrous. Um, so um, it was just you know one horizon point after another. Um, 
you get to the top of that mountain, you go, oh, there's another mountain. All right, we better get to the top of that one. Oh, there's another mountain after that. All right, we better, and so on and so forth. And that's, I mean, let's, it's, it's no mean feat um, in terms of when you look at that digital landscape, the competition that is happening online, and the ongoing demand for cut through and relevance and getting noticed. It's no, it's no mean feat what's, what's being achieved. What, if you had sort of had to look back and, and almost get on that balcony and have some perspective, what, what do you think made the difference in terms of Booktopia? achieving the results it's achieved and continuing um, to achieve the results it's achieving in terms of the continued investment and acquisitions and impact you're making in the market as as well as some of the philanthropic work which which will come on to soon so so can you you know what what's made the difference do you think so a few things there one was that um i really liked that the um that when I looked at the book industry, it was it was pretty it was a pretty um, complex um, industry to be in. I mean, you're talking about um, a product product range of 27, 27 million active books, active records. Uh, no other industry has has a database of active SKUs, active records. Um, like like the book industry, so I I knew that your ability to be able to handle the tech, handle the IT, um, was going to be very um, was was going to need a, a technical team that knew what they were doing online. That was one thing. I liked that the book industry, the publishers were very old school and had really no idea what was going on, and their tech um, was was not that great, which meant that the, the ability to be able to Put the effort in and take advantage of the the shortfalls that they had to what the customers actually needed. To know how to drive traffic into websites as well, which is one of the things that we would had been doing for a number of years, is expensive um, if you don't know what you're doing, and if you and, and even if you do know what you're doing, it's, it was expensive um, even more so because you knew how much you could spend. So there was just a lot of different things. Um, about the book industry that I could see qu- quickly that the barrier to entry was actually much higher than people would have thought in comparison to some of the other online stores. So that that was one of the things that um, appealed to me at the time um, was was that. Um, the the other thing that what you were alluding to there is we we simply asked ourselves one question every single day, what do our customers want? And it was it was weird for me to be in the book industry where so few people really kind of thought about what do the readers want, what do they want. I mean, they they were more interested in talking to me about the new big best selling title that they're just about to publish rather than a book that was published 10, 15, 20 years ago that was still selling today and paying for their offices overlooking Sydney Harbour, um, their administration staff. But I could see that they were the ones that I, I wanted to stock. I wanted to have the boring, you know, you can trust, you know, for the next 30-year kind of titles that people just kept buying over, you know, how to win friends and influence people, power of positive thinking. I mean, books that had been written 60, 70 years ago were still selling. So um, that that was really um, what do our customers want? And that that 
by asking that question and then exploring what they were responding to, what they needed, what we were stocking, how we kind of focused the website, what we did in terms of um, the philanthropy, as you mentioned before, or interviews and blogs and and signed copies, which is always a hassle to do, but we did it. All these things um, defined um, each step along the way about what we had to do next because they were the ones that, um, by asking that question, we could respond and and give them what they needed and, and no one else in the country did that. That that was very, it's a very, very important part of, of Booktopia's success today. It's incredible, isn't it, how many um, organisations talk about putting the customer at the centre of their decision-making and their strategy, and yet I'm not convinced that what they say actually eventuates. And I would you know, suggest many of these organisations that are really, really struggling right now in these current uh, very disruptive times are because they, you know, they've, they've failed to recognise the power of the consumer. Um, and particularly in digital, this need to make the experience so easy versus clunky is becoming increasingly, increasingly needed. Um, are you seeing that from your view on the world of retailing and, and online selling? The thing about that is, I mean, they talk... This is an interesting thing which a lot of people don't understand, but they talk about online retail, online retail, retailing, online, right? That's a huge mistake, I feel. We're not retailers. We're micro wholesalers. And the problem that a lot of retailers have is they try and somehow, um, you know, kind of map their old way of doing things to the new way of doing things and wonder why it doesn't work for them or wonder they see their online store as another store. It's not a store. It's a, there's nothing about our facility that looks like a retail situation. And the more that people understand that it's actually, it's wholesaling, but not B2B, it's B2C. So there's lots of parcels being Picked and packed and sent um, a very you know very small parcel sometimes only one item in them, um, and and so the things that you do in terms of uh, what we, someone would call online retailing, and if you think that you're a retailer and you're doing things like the old way, um, I think that's largely an error, and that's why a lot of um, Australian retail is really lag behind the rest of the world is that most of the time it's being run by um, old retailers who who um, don't understand the new world, don't understand the opportunities. And, and so now through the pandemic, for example, a lot of them just simply have not, um, not got any kind of investment or any kind of processes or, or ways to, to deal with that. And Booktopia has has been up 80% year on year for the last four months uh, from mid-March through to now ju- mid-July because we have um, we operate as an online retailer, which is a, which is a wholesaler of, of some description. It's a, distri- it's a distribution network, not a retail network. Um, and they, they really don't. You've got people running companies who really don't have any idea about, about what to do, and that's why so many 
young, nimble companies have been coming up through the ranks and doing so well because they don't have that old mindset of how you do it is the way we have always done it. The world is flat. The world is not flat. It's spherical and it's completely different to what it's, you've ever thought it to be. Um, so that's the mistake that, um, not the mistake, that's the, the um, you know, the, the cost over the last several years as online retail around the world has, has completely exploded, whereas in Australia we've been in lag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, it's almost becoming more apparent than ever, I think, as a result of this, of this pandemic, how far behind we are. Now, you, you touched on uh, really briefly at the start of our conversation, you, you mentioned that, that you have um, ADHD. I'm curious, how has that contributed uh, positively to how you run your business, how you how you lead Booktopia both through current situations and uh, and out that other side in terms of the growth plans and the and the bigger dreams and visions that you have for the business. There's pluses and minuses, of course, with all kind of mental health. Um, um, I won't say cases or situations, but ADHD is certainly one. Of course, I never knew that I had ADHD. I only found out few years ago when my son was diagnosed because my wife said you know my steps her stepson my son um is is acting peculiarly and it took a while for him to be diagnosed properly but once he was and got on on some medication i mean his his grades went from you know straight b's to straight a's and so um, and his ability to focus was completely different so when when that happened um my wife being a Google doctor using Google to do all her analysis, she said, I reckon you've got it as well. And I said, oh, well, if you, you're you right about my son, so I'll go off to the psychiatrist and get checked out. And he spent time with me and he said, there's no way you've got ADHD. I mean, look at you, Booktopia, successful, you're doing all this, you're doing all that. He's, he said, but before I make my final decision, can you, could your wife come in? I just want to have a chat with her. And after about 20 minutes, he said to me, you definitely have ADHD. And, and, uh, and so what I've learned since discovering that is that um and now that i'm on medication is that you you basically do what you want to do and you don't really do what you don't want to do so which is great um if you live on your own and you don't have any other responsibilities because quite often you're neglecting things that need to be done and you're you're doing all the things that you want to pursue so if you're a an entrepreneur like i am then i've just basically mostly in the beginning focused obsessively on the business and i can only imagine possibly over the centuries that you know the likes of a michelangelo or a da vinci or a edison or i don't know some, all these obsessives who have gone on to um, create incredible art or incredible inventions potentially could have had it as well so i see it as a superpower um, it does come with some costs, though, and therefore you need to you need to be mindful of the fact that relationships can be tarnished or can be impacted by by the perhaps neglect or or self obsession. So, um, from my perspective, Booktopia certainly benefited in the early years by that that obsession, but um, it just needs to be understood. I think the main thing that I found, having spoken about it in public speaking, is that um, is that it's not a stigma. It's not a um, it's not a uh, you know an albatross hanging around your neck. It actually can be used to great advantage um, in your in your life and in your world. And if you own it, and if you say, "Oh, you know, that's me," then you start to understand your limitations, and then you can kind of work with them. 
in the past um, it was quite invisible to me and it was just, well, that's the way it is. When my son was growing up becoming a teenager, well, hey, that's what boys are like. That's a, that's a kid, that's a teenager. Well, actually, no, that's a condition that can be addressed um, and and therefore um, when you get that kind of insight, you can work with it. Up until then it was all just, you know, everything was kind of happening as per normal and I, I had really had no control. So um, I see it as a superpower. I tell everyone that it's a superpower and it is when you really want to get something done, but um, it can come with some personal costs that everyone needs to um, invest the time to do the things that you don't want to do, which um, may be chores around the house or other things that are not as a higher priority. What sort of changes have you made as a result in terms of um, getting and being the best of you at work? Um, Have you changed the people around you? Have you sought out different skills to add to your superpower? Is there anything specifically that you have done differently since you've developed this understanding of, of your superpower? Um, I guess the people that work with me will never refer to it as a superpower, but as a someone with ADHD, it's nice to refer to it that way. I don't normally talk about it with my colleagues that I have this superpower and, and you don't. Um, that's not how I kind of live my life, but I will say that um, it's about um, I have to put more effort into keeping my agreements with others and um, certainly time commitments um, uh, when something needs to be done, um, it may not be the one thing that I really want to get done. I've probably got other interests and pursuits that I probably want to follow, but making sure that those kind of things are, are um, completed on time takes a bit more effort. And having um, an EA who supports me and understands my deficiencies as well to to make sure we're creating time and, and deadlines and things to to keep my agreements. I think is important. I've done a very good job of attracting a very talented group of people. So uh, I know that I'm, I know that I'm good at doing that. I was a recruiter for 14 years. I know how to recruit people, but also to have them stay. So um, I think what works for me there is that I empower them to get on with, with what needs to be done for them to contribute, to give them the context to operate in, but not necessarily the content. Um, and so they can, they can go off and and um, and be brilliant and and create things that I would never have imagined of their own accord. So, so I think I think um, there's there must be aspects to that. They uh, the thing about it is it's not necessarily just me. It's Booktopia is an incredible or, organization to serve. Of yes, I'm the CEO, but it, it's beyond you know, the business is beyond me. So I'm I'm there to perhaps steer it in the right direction, but they're working in an organisation which gives so much back to them. I, there's a separation between me and, and the organisation. So I understand that that there is something that our customers, the publishers, the authors, the industry is delivering for them um, to to thrive and, and therefore that, that sits um, distinctly outside of me. We... Um this is a lovely segue to a conversation that, that we were having around an entrepreneurs conference that you attended. I don't know how long ago it was, Tony, but back in Hawaii, I think it was a Robert Kiyosaki uh, conference. 
And I love the story that you shared about being put into groups and uh, one of the group members actually not wanting you to be part of that group and you subsequently uh, having the curiosity to, to explore more. Are you able to share that with our listeners about what you learned from that experience? So, yeah, so you're talking about a course called Money in You um, by uh, that Robert Kiyosaki did. I did that in 1992. Um I then went on to do the Business School for Entrepreneurs in 93, which is what you were referring to, which was three years before I started my first company. But that particular um, exercise was that um, – I won't go into the details because you can still do money in you. So if someone did do it, I wouldn't want it to give too much away. But we had to form these groups, and it was an important exercise in the whole of the, the course. It was one of the big ones that you did, and I wanted to get the most out of it because they kind of, you know, they kind of ramped it up and said that this is this is the big one. You you know if you give a hundred percent, you'll get a hundred percent. And so I was really enthusiastic to to get the most out of it. And so I got into this group, and this guy had said to me after we'd kind of formed the group, he looked at me and he said, "Tony, I, I really don't want you in our group." And and I said, "Oh, okay, all right." Um, and I did, rather than perhaps trying to challenge that or or say, well, you know, try and why don't you want me or, or you know, maybe I could have um, done a bit of more self-promotion to stay in the group. I just said, oh, okay. And it kind of felt right to just step aside and allow the process to take its course because it intuitively that felt right to me. So I, I didn't um, contest it and, and just got out of the group and they found someone else and I ended up in another group where there was – you know, four other, they had to be in groups of five. There was four other lost lost lambs and we made up one group. And when we, um, when that course finished and um, I got so much out of it, it was incredible um, professionally and also personally. And, and then it was um, two months later when they were running the course again where you could go back and be part of that particular exercise where as a, as a person who had done it before, you kind of are there as a, as a, group member to assess how the how the people were participating and you could you could play your part in the particular exercise and so i i wanted to go back because i got so much out of it i actually ended up in the same group with the guy that said to to me and not everyone goes back um it's just a choice and there was no compulsory thing there i just wanted to and he did as well obviously and and we ended up in the same group about um, who, how we were going to assess how the other groups were going. And I, I said to him, look, I, I want to ask you, what was it about me that that you didn't want me in the group? And he said, I didn't think you had any integrity. And that was one of the things about that particular exercise was um, it covered many things, but one of them was around integrity. And I, I remember being in that particular exercise going, I don't even know what integrity means. What, like... I never thought about it in that way to stop and think about what is it? I mean, I understand you people use words and you kind of know the meaning and feeling, but hold on a second. Now, what, what does it actually mean? And I read the, the dictionary. They had a dictionary for the participants if we ever needed a dictionary. And I read the description. I go, I don't even get that. And it was like, um, and so I had said to the guy, yes, thank you. Because in that exercise, I had no idea. And, and it was from then I went out and started observing people that had integrity like what 
why why does that person have integrity? Does this person not have integrity? What are they saying? How are they acting? How are they standing? How are they communicating? What does integrity even look like when it's being demonstrated in the world? And so I started to observe it and then I started to model it and I started to change my way. And then within a year or two, I started getting feedback from random people in various conversations, be it at work or in social. And they said, oh, you've you've got a lot of integrity. And it was, even though I didn't have, I couldn't like say, oh, it's fantastic that you told me that because I'm going to tell you this whole story because it's like, it's like kind of saying, I've just done a magic trick and I'm about to show you how I did that magic trick. You just don't do that when you're a magician. And it was one of those situations where all you could do was sit there and, and, and thank, thank them for the, for the feedback and go, I'm on track. I'm on track because that's what my intention was. And, and I've been able to modify who I am to bring that that trait into my life. Um, that was Carol, that. Yeah, and just I just love that story as an example of the courage that it takes to be willing to explore, to also be challenged on how you can get better. Um, and then the intentionality, Tony, of uh, investing the time to actually get better, I think, is, is one of the classics of how to become more brilliant. And the other thing it, it links to, um, and again, this, this goes back to our conversation earlier, is, you know, you talk a lot about the pillars of your personal success. And one of the things that rang loud and clear when we talked was, this commitment that you have to, I'll use the word contribution, you could also talk about legacy. Um, can, you, can you just share a little bit more about those four pillars for you? What is so important for you in terms of this concept of brilliance or your own personal brilliance, your own personal success? Um, well, that came out of the conversation that you and I were talking about with regard to your book and, and being brilliant. Um, so I don't really think about it in certainly four pillars. Um, I do, and we did talk about my love of Buckminster Fuller and his, um, four-sided pyramid, the tetrahedron, and that's the smallest system in the world. So when I'm trying to develop a model, I think of how, what are the four things that would make that up? Because if I don't have four, then I don't have a system, um, and so in many, many things that I look at, it would be, okay, all right, what are the four things that are working together here? Because that would make it real versus three or two, which is then only a model. It's not a system. Um, so um, contribution definitely um, is one of those ones in terms of, you know, what do you do? What's your effort? Where, where, where are you applying your time? And it doesn't mean that you're doing it you know, 24-7, 365 of the year, like, it's like, no, it's, you don't have to be, you don't have to be like that all the time. It's just, a, but when you are on and doing what you do, what is it that you're doing? And and if you love it, if you love what you do, if you're passionate about what you do, then it it will come, it will come through in, in s- such clarity to others that, um, that they'll recognize your intention and they'll recognize that that's what, you know, who you are. But also it's just so much easier to have critical mass in your life when you've got that kind of um, clarity about what, what it is that you're doing. Uh, when it comes to legacy, 
legacy is really like, you know, well, once you're done and gone, how does how does your name, how does your contribution live on? What did you what what did you do? What relationships did you have? What impact did you have? Maybe what did you sow? What did you how how far did you run? What did you sing? What did you give? Who did you take care of? Um, what did you donate? I mean, there's just so many ways that your your legacy. But it, it, and then it, it, I won't say negative or positive, but anything that you do, did you were you cruel? Were you did you did you shame somebody? Did you hurt somebody physically or mentally or emotionally? All those things are your legacy, um, and and it's important to understand. And for you and I. Um, you know, causing physical hurt to one person um, is completely abhorrent to us, but to to a Hitler or to a to a some you know conqueror, um, they they see that as as their as their right or as their their mission. Um, I, I can't understand how you can do that, but to others, it's it's their legacy. So um, these are. You know these are important. Um, these are important kind of personal um, traits and things to contemplate. It's the more that you think about them, the more you come to terms with them, the more that you've sat with them, the more uh, you get to um, consider what's available and what what's you know what what can you do. They, I mean, the minutes, the minutes, hours. Days they just roll past. So how we how are we going to best use our time to and to get to get the most amount of joy and love and 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 sense of accomplishment? Do you do you feel a um, a sense of responsibility uh, in terms of your role with the organisation and the impact? That, as you said, Booktopia is more than you now. So is there a sense of, of responsibility given its success and growth and its continued impact? You know, one of the one of the incredible things that Booktopia um, has as, at its core is that philanthropic program, the work that you do, uh, particularly in Australia in terms of literacy-based pro- projects and helping Indigenous literacy, et cetera, et cetera. Did, did that... Is, is that an incredibly important part of this contribution that Booktopia is making? To me, that um, the giving back is important. Um, a lot of people talk about that tithing and other things that, that one might do um, to give so you can receive. Um, that's more to do. It's, it's not, you don't do it because you want to receive more. Um, it's the cycle of giving and receiving that where you're giving, uh, that you then open up to be receiving, of which you then can give again, um, and that's and the, the receiving may not necessarily be in in monetary or physical um, product that people are giving to you, but it could just simply be joy, love, time, thanks, gratitude, um, wisdom, um, all these things that come into it. But from from my perspective, in the beginning. You're in in the industry of books. Books, um, of course, uh, most of the people who use our product are literate. Um, not all, but uh, many are. Most of them are learned. Most of them are passionate people who who you know 
consider society as a as a important fabric of our, of their lives and of all of our lives. So therefore, um, it was just felt right to me to have a program that that we ha- that we could tell people that oh by the way, if you buy from us, then we're going to give back and we're going to give to these particular areas and. And uh, and it also made it easy. Of course, people are asking for you all the time. Is more successful as you get. And if you've got a, a a certain thing that you say you do, which is we give to literacy, indigenous literacy, we sponsor writers' festivals, readers' conferences, library fundraising events. It's all around books, around learning, around around you know writing, etc. And 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 acknowledging the the authors and the illustrators by sponsoring those awards. Um, means that when someone else comes to us about something else, we can say, look, I'm so sorry, we've got a, a philanthropic program. We've donated over a million dollars in cash and books to literacy projects in Australia. And they'll go, oh, good on you. That's so great. Thank yeah, That's inspiring. And you've said no to someone who's asked you for something for money, but they're, they're immediately inspired by what you do. And, and so it's very um, – uh, it just serves in so many different ways um, – of course, it's all about the giving, but at the same time, uh, the the customers that buy from us know that we're doing the right thing and feel good. Um, and then, and then, you know, as I said, and then to others who are doing different things, and we don't, you know, what we don't, you know, we don't get involved in those projects. So, um, but giving back is an important part of your purpose. Yeah, and I. And I think some. I think the, the opportunity to focus as well allows you to create create that bigger impact. I've, I'm actually close to finishing a reread of uh, Melinda Gates's book, The Moment of Lift. I don't know if you've read it, Tony. Um, but there's a question that she likes to think about, and I reckon I'm curious as, as to how you would answer this. Her, her very good friend. Killian Moe uh, founded a uh, organisation which which actually helps people uh, recovering from homelessness, etc. And the question that her friend posed to her, so the, the question that Belinda got asked, which I'm now asking you because it's a curious question, is, you know, what do you know now in a deeper way than you knew it before? What do I know now in a deeper way that, what, sorry, that, what do you know now in a deeper way than you knew it before? Um, in terms of uh, the philanthropy or in terms of just the whole Booktopia journey? could be anything, Tony. Um, for you as, as an individual, where you're at in terms of, of your life and your lessons of business and life, um, what, what do you know now more deeply than you knew it before? Um, that I, I'm what's been reconfirmed along the way, I think, is that, um, that when something comes out of left field that you didn't expect, you, you have to smile at it, smile at it when it happens and embrace it and say, bring it on. Mm. Um, and that that when you're in business, when you're in marriage or a relationship or a parent or a teacher or a professional, um, it's it's not it's not a you know like a 
lazy lie in the back of a boat and let 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 the river take you down the stream and you end up where you end up and you go and you go I oh, wasn't that a wonderful you know lazy kind of Sunday afternoon for a few hours it's like no there'll be rocks and there'll be turns and there'll be twists and there'll be a, a little waterfall or some rapids and 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 so when it happens it's 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 basically the universe saying you're on track and i'm going to give you one more obstacle to overcome so are you up for it and you respond i'm up for it and then you just go for it it's something that i knew before but to have been thrown so many of those things out of left field and to address them and to then have that sense of of um of solid grounded immovable unshakable kind of strength around it and go oh yeah okay all right well that's that's what we're up that's what we're dealing with right now and and um if if you could have if you could instill that in everyone who's embarking on business or a career or a marriage or a relationship or parenting um then that's probably um the most resourceful thing you could you could have at your disposal i i would suggest i love that it's it's such a um empowering way to face challenges and changes in terms of your comment there about the universe almost rewarding you with yet another challenge to ultimately make you make you better or, your, or to challenge your commitment to, to what it is that you're trying to achieve. And, and with that, this, this, you know, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance and whether you're a, a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, a business owner, a, an athlete, a thought leader, um, really uncovering those, those stories. But also I'm curious, Tony, as we sort of wrap up today, what does unleashing brilliance mean to you? Unleashing brilliance to me um, means that you are, you just simply set a horizon point for what it is that you're looking for and going hell for leather to get that and to embrace that. Um, but at the same time, um, you can it's a bit of a, a hologram. It's a bit of a um, maybe one of those um, illusions where, and at the same time, going nowhere, sitting still and allowing everything just to come to you naturally through the gravitational force of, of your intention. And, and so there's a, to me about being brilliant is about being still and being, and being, um, supremely fast at the same time or at different times um and knowing you know knowing what it is that you're you seek yeah i love that tony it's been an absolute pleasure we've sort of covered i've got so many notes in front of me um everything from the evolution of an idea uh getting curious about the impact you are making every day and i loved 
your uh, explanation about it doesn't have to be money, it could be joy, happiness, smile, kindness, whatever it is. And um, and that concept of smiling at the unexpected and saying, bring it on anyway, seeing it as almost the universe recognising that you're growing and developing. Um, you know, we often say to people, what's next? Uh, but my, my question is, what? What do you want to be remembered for, Tony? Be remembered for? To have inspired others, to to planted the seed of of an idea or a motivation to be better than uh, they dreamed they could be or should be um, and to, to have them... Get up and and go and and try try that little bit more, and to be a great son, sibling, father, husband. Yeah, mostly, mostly it's the latter. It's been a joy. Um... I loved being guest on your podcast and you inspired me through our conversation. And some of your questioning has already created a ripple effect onto the people in my world since we chatted. And I know that this conversation that we've had will continue to inspire. So thank you again for gifting and finding some time in your busy schedule and for sharing so openly. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Janine, and I look forward. We can do it again when your book sales hit 100,000 copies sold. We we should put a place marker. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. And we get, and we get on that uh, continually replenished because it's going to be around for years to come list. <laughs> That's it. That's the one. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. Follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more. Visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.